Hi, welcome to the Holes of the Mark podcast show, and today I'm talking to Carl Marshall, who may know a little bit about cryptozoology. Well, that's what he told me. Hi, Carl. Hi, mate, you alright? Yeah, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah. Um, I, uh, I was the curator of Stratford-Palaver Butterfly Farm for 10 years, that's how I got interested in the natural world. Um, I'm currently studying for a degree in zoology. Um, I'm very much interested in cryptozoology. Uh, my main expertise, I suppose, is, is big cats, really. Um, uh, I'm also writing a book on micro-cryptozoology, which might be interesting. Now, when you say about big cats, so there's a lot, obviously, there's lots of mythology about big cats, obviously, with Bob, Beast of Bobman and such like. Do you think these creatures are alive around today, but are more... Gen- um, a genetic mutation of the original creatures that were released back in the 70s? Um, yeah, I, I, I expect there's been a small amount of breeding taking place. Um, I personally believe that most of the big cats that are roaming around this country are are, are escapees or um, animals that are being illegally released still to this day. Um, but yeah, I think there is a little bit of breeding taking place. So yeah, there's a little bit of genetic diversity going on. Because I know people say, oh, how can they survive in this environment? But I, I thought, well, if you look at the moors, there's plenty of food for sheep and rabbits and, and uh, like such. Deer and even rabbits and things like that. Yeah, because I think, I know, that I th- would have thought some farmers, I mean, I'm not saying this is true, may cover up the, the like, big cat instances, like where they've been mauled or some sort. Mm-hmm. What what was it like when you did your butterfly for a bit? Did you enjoy that? Uh, yeah, I was there. I say I was there for ten years. Um, I've always been interested in the natural world uh, since a child. My father uh, was a taxidermist when I was growing up, so I used to see big cats and bears and all sorts of animals lying around my house, and uh, that's really what inspired me to do what I do. Yeah, I imagine, I, I, I've never seen, I've seen taxidermy animals, and obviously some of them not very well done. You know, the old ones, you know the ones I mean. they got the glass eyes yeah. half hanging out, and the nose looks like it's yeah. come, come from a teddy bear somewhere. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, you get a lot of poor quality taxidermy. Uh, my father really, towards the end, he was specialising in fish taxidermy, and he made a bit of a name for himself doing that. Um, but like I say, when I was growing up, there was always always animals around the house. One of my earliest memories is um, um, a, a big cat, basically, uh, on the side. <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, I was just sort of—I remember sat there on the floor as a child, playing with its with its with its foot hanging off the edge of the table. <laughs> so you know, I've got quite a—I've I've, uh, I've seen them quite a few times. I imagine, the postman, I imagine when the postman came to your house, he must be going. Uh, how did you get involved with the CFZ? It's quite a forcing answer. Basically, I was on a holiday in Spain, of all places, and uh, I picked up a DVD. It was, um, I think it was Bigfoot and Other Monsters with John Downs and Richard Freeman. And uh, I just decided to get in touch with John one day, and uh, he gave me a couple of projects to work on, and it went from there, really. Yeah, do you enjoy doing looking at the big reports? I know you've been very good because I normally send you some because I'm not too sure how true the story is, and I'm 
I'm glad that you break it down to like, oh no, it couldn't be possible, blah blah blah. I like that. Yeah, I think it's it's a very good idea to be as objective as possible, because um, I do genuinely believe they are out there. But the, the num- I, be- I personally believe the numbers are far less than than many many big cat researchers imply. Well, yeah, because I mean, they don't breed as much as people think they do. What's the strangest animal you've ever come across in cryptozoology? Um, when I was in Borneo in 2010, my guides in Ulukamanis told me of glowing birds um, that Ooh. were found in a forest clearing, which he likened to birds of paradise, which I thought was very interesting because Borneo is not very far, really, from Papua New Guinea, where the birds of paradise are endemic. It's strange when you talk to locals who know more knowledge about what they see day to day. And they might, they might embellish it a little bit, obviously, because everybody does that. It's like when you catch a fish, it's not four foot, it's five foot. You know what I mean? But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but they, they, they're not going to lie that much, because if they've seen something, it's obviously, as you know, it'd be in their cultural references somewhere. Mm, yeah, yeah, certainly. I think I'm right that there's North American Indians have a lot of Bigfoot culture in their traditions. Yeah, it goes way back. Um, same with lake monster reports in Europe, really. Um, there's lots of old stories. You've all, we've all heard the story of St. Columba at Loch Ness in 565 AD, I think it was. And um, So there's, an, there's a, a folkloric element to, to these stories, certainly. Well, I'm a great believer. I like the old legends, you know, like Dracula and Werewolf and all that, because I know that every myth has a, a has a, a tinge of truth somewhere out there. Hmm. Well, it's no coincidence, is it, that um, like zombies and, and werewolves—they're both, you know, consuming human pe- human bodies in one way or another, whether it's drinking the blood or or eating the flesh. You know, I think they share a share a, a, a common mythological ancestor, if you like. Well, it, it, well, it goes back, as you say, I mean, I looked at a programme once on Discovery about giants. This American bloke was going around looking for giants because he had, he, well, he said he had evidence of people being over eight foot tall. Yeah, yeah, sure. Maybe it's just a, a mutation, genetic mutation. I mean, giganticism is quite prevalent, really, and you, you expect that to prop up, prop up in all sorts of species, including humans. Do you think that when we still talk about fairy tales and people go on about dwarfs and giants, it, but perhaps it's like because poor people might have been slightly taller than them and slightly smaller than them, and they couldn't, they didn't know how best to describe them. Absolutely, yeah, I, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, I'm not saying that big yeah, human beings ever contacted uh, Homo floresiensis or anything like that, but if you imagine Homo floresiensis on the island of floors. I mean, animals like the, um, the, 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 the floors version of the Komodo dragon would be absolutely colossal to, to Homo floresiensis or Iwagogo or whatever you want to call it. And uh, from, it, from its perspective, that would be a, a true giant, wouldn't it? Oh, no, they, they did use them in the old um, science fiction films. The old B-movies. They used oh, yeah, to use them to represent dinosaurs. 
or some lizard with a horn glued on its nose or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I used to love those old films. Yeah, me too. I think that's what influ- I think a lot of that has influenced cryptozoology as well. Because I know Richard Freeman said he was influenced by the Doctor Who, but, but the old Doctor Who with him. I think it was John Pertwee that did all the monster ones. Yeah, I think I've heard him say that. And in a way, I suppose I can actually... I was, well, basically, when I was a kid, I used to watch Eerie Indiana. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just a kid's programme when I was growing up. And it was always set in strange situations. You know, you had, um, like... Bigfoot going through the trash cans and, and UFOs and ghosts and all sorts of really cool stuff and it sort of inspired me as a child. So yeah, I can understand Richard Freeman thinking that way about Doctor Who. What do you think of other subjects that you um, say? Do you think it's possible that Bigfoot exists in the UK, or do you think it may be that people may be misinterpreting what they're seeing? I don't want to open up a can of worms, but no, um, no, no I'm I don't, not. Okay. I don't no. Not as a, not, as a, not as a flesh and blood animal, no. No, that's what I was trying to say. I, do, I just say, yeah, I don't want to go, yeah, I know what you mean, but I was just saying, yeah. that because there's so many theories out there, you don't know which is true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm quite sceptical of the North American Bigfoot as well. I mean, I'm far more open to the idea of the Yeti, if I'm perfectly honest. Oh, yeah, the Yeti is possible because, I mean, you've got a vast wilderness. You, you we've never We haven't even touched half the mountains up there. I think, wasn't it one of the famous um, mountaineers that first come back with a report about yetis, wasn't it? Yeah, Edmund Hillary. Um, no, that's the one, yeah. First, they, uh, they photographed uh, a single footprint, I believe, and then it was later claimed to be a line of tracks, which I believe were a goat of some sort, actually, but um, the single track that was photographed by Hillary next to his pickaxe certainly very unusual um it does it does resemble a primate an unusual primate but uh, it does resemble a primate well you think of some of these strange animals that live out in the middle of well the desert desert and the, the really i mean you look at polar bears they look at living the most extreme cold possible mm. you expect some analog in with, with bigfoot if it exists you know you expect there to be a much larger variety possibly somewhere further north do you think that the current weather we're having, or future weather that we're having, will influence some of the animals we're around now? Do you think we'll, they will come almost yeah, like I a... Actually, funnily enough, John Downs just showed me a picture yesterday of uh, an ermine that was photographed down here, which is the, the white winter variant of the, of the stoat, which you shouldn't really get down here. I mean, as far as I know... Um, there are. I didn't realise until recently. There, there, there are no reports really below uh, Derbyshire. But then I did hear that in the 1930s that there was two reports of an ermine down here, and it's coincidental that it, it started snowing as well. Yeah, I, I just think. It, 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 I mean, I, I just think that when they say about oh, cryptozoology isn't a real proper science, I think well, no, you, you're just thinking it's all about monsters. But yeah, that's the glory side. But cryptozoology is about finding something new. Well, I look at cryptozoology very much as a naturalist. Um, to me, it's just an extension of the natural world. 
Do you think it ever be accepted as a proper science? I hope so. I'm hoping that my book might go some way to helping that out, because I mean, the idea of micro-cryptozoology, I mean, as far as I know, there isn't any books out there on the subject, and um, obviously the chances of finding much smaller organisms is far more likely. Well, just tell me about the, what your title of the book is going to be, what it's roughly about, and tell people where they it's might be able to find it. looking at... Um, a lot of it's ethnoname reports, so sticking true to cryptozoology. Um, but rather than looking at the, the megafauna, we're just looking at micro, microfauna, really. The smaller animals. My, my category is um, anything that weighs less than 2.2 pounds. That's quite small. Very small, yeah. It'll be mostly invertebrates. But, but they, they are very clever and um, versatile animals. Are you in the process of writing the book or finishing the book? Sorry, say again. Are you in the process of writing the book or finishing the book? Yes, yes, I am, yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Please send me a little link and I'll, I'll read a chapter for you. And, yeah, it'd be my pleasure. And I'll promote the, it to no kingdom come. I'm very good at promoting <laughs> things. Now, to change the subject slightly... Because we all, because that's what we do in cryptozoology. We just change subject because we don't do. Now I know that you and me are great fans of zombies. Very much, yeah. I'm quite partial to a zombie film. Now, why do you think you've been drawn to the world of the zombie? <laughs> um, it all started when I was about nine years old, and my mother um, offered to record a zombie film that was on that night. It was a, a hammer I know you write articles for Gonzo Weekly about the, the uh, Walking Dead um, series. Mm, yeah, I just, uh, I just write uh, reviews on horror in general, really, for Gonzo. I, I like the classic Nostafastu about the... Uh, oh, fantastic, yeah. yeah. I, have you ever seen the documentary how they made the, the film? Yeah, it's a very interesting film because it, it was totally bizarre because the person, the actor really wasn't interested in doing it. The film crew were very nervous because apparently the place where they were was quite spooky and dark and you're beginning to get a bit freaked out. 
I mean, I know it's classified as yeah, a, a B movie as such, but I love B movies. I can't, I can't. Oh, think. I do as well. I mean, some zombie movies certainly fall within the category of B movies. Um, anything by Troma, uh, Curse of the Cannibal Confederates would be a good example of that. It's a truly, truly awful film, really, but I quite enjoy it. I think zombie films are sometimes are made to reflect on the society of today. Yeah, because you look at some of the zombies, they make a good... I think that you say that the um, one that followed the Night of the Living Dead, where they're on the supermarket. Dawn of the Dead, yeah. Yeah, and that's about can you, can you, consumerism. Yeah, that's a big old word, I could say. Yeah, about... Well, Dawn of the Dead is my favourite zombie film of all time. Um, I absolutely love that film. It's, yeah, I absolutely love it. But, and the dialogue is well. <laughs> Look over yeah, there. Yeah. There yeah, is a yeah. helicopter coming. Be, um, and, the, and the gore effects are not particularly impressive either. I mean, you've got very, very fake-looking blood, very orange-looking blood, and very blue-looking skin on the zombies. But there's just something about that film that I just can't get enough of. What do you think of the modern-day series like Walking Dead and Z Nation and? I'm Zombie, mm. and programs like that. I, um, I, I wasn't very keen on I Am Zombie, but I did like um, The Walking Dead. I do like The Walking Dead, and I also enjoyed um, uh, the other one you mentioned. What was it again? Z Nation. That's it, Z Nation. I've only seen the, third, the first three seasons of Z Nation, but I did enjoy it. I got to where they had a zombie bear. Yeah, I, I just like the fact that Z Nation's had every zombie combination that you've always wanted. I think they had zombies high on crack. <laughs> that was my best episode. I thought, what? <laughs> yeah, he like, hey man. <laughs> now, um, what? How do you go about? What actually do you do helping John? Um, I know you sometimes you go on his uh, on the track, uh, still on the track as well. That'd be unusual for John to send you into doing a job that you weren't really meant to do. <laughs> he's, a, he's a good chap, really. Does he pay you no, pe- he, he, he used to pay me peanuts. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's one, of, he's, he's one of my best friends. So. You're saying that because he's standing beside you. Oh my god! <laughs> You're very privileged. I think it, I like CSZ because I think it, it, we're a great community because we can have good discussions about the world and everything. And okay, we may get it wrong, but we're glad to say, yeah, sorry, I was wrong, and that's yeah. the end of it. I think the CSZ is very much a family. I think we should keep it that way as well. Mm, I, I know there was, as we said earlier, there was a bit of that hoo-ha about all this rubbish. It almost became like Brexit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I compare it to Brexit. Yeah, Brexit's been a horrible, horrible situation, hasn't it? Oh, my God. 
if it, uh, if it was a zombie, it would be shot dead about five times by then. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't look like it's going to end any time soon either. No. Now, um, is there anything else that you do, like, hobby-wise? Um, <laughs> um, me and my friends, we have a group where we watch, it's back to horror again, but we watch horror films and we critique horror films. Um, his name's Geordie Jackson. He's actually one of the co-writers for Gonzo with me. Yeah. And um, each week we... We all get together and we watch some obscure horror film from some point in history. It could be anything, really. And um, yeah, that's one. Yeah, so I very much enjoy doing that. I like I like seeing the most bizarre, the most. Um, there's a lot of free public domain films that are very weird films. Mm. That I found yeah. found on the internet. Um, like, okay. I, 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 I think, I'll try and find the site for you again. But it was lovely, weird, and wonderful films on there. I mean, some of them they couldn't show to, even today because there's um seventies nudity in it, as we will say. The seventies they they like to have nude, lots of nude pictures in the seventies. But for some reason, even in the horror film, the woman had to wear scantily dressed, scantily dressed, with, or the um. Nighty had to be perfectly see-through. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's changed a bit over the years now. I mean, women have become a much more powerful, powerful character within horror. Oh well, yes, yes. So much resorting to that sort of thing. I mean, it still goes on, but um, it's, it's not unusual now, is it, for there to be a, a female leading star in a movie, especially in horror? Well, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I I, I originally watched uh, Bird Box on Netflix. That was very good. Oh, Sandra Bullock. I haven't seen it yet. No, I recommend it. It, it. It's very, it's very good. Okay. Don't don't go out and be. Don't do what these some people do, and go out and actually check, go and say, "Oh, I've got to try this. Oh, that's a good idea." <laughs> no, I need to check that one out. Yeah. I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's very good. Now, I know, I know you um, come a long way to go from where you are to go, go down to John. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm from Warwickshire, so it's quite a way. As I, as, as I was going to say, you've, I've seen the weather out there, and you might not be going home mm. soon. <laughs> no, it, it's, yeah, I mean, if I am, it takes a day to get back anyway. Yeah, you might have to give yourself an extra day. Yeah, I think so. I would be, be wise. It might be cleared up tomorrow, I don't know, but it's pretty bad here. Yeah. Yeah. So, before I go, and we talked about your book, we talked about what you like to do, we talked about your cryptozoology world. Now, normally I like to ask my guests to do something unique, because I like doing something unique before I finish. So, I'm going to put you on the spot, Carl. Could you do something unique? Yeah, it could be anything you like, something to talk about, uh, a favourite weirdest really zombie film. Uh... Well, I might, I might go back to cryptozoology just for a second. I think um, one of my favourite cryptids, one of the things I'm most interested in is, is outsized snakes. Um, I personally believe that the, the anaconda is probably the largest snake in the world, and I'd give it an extra 10 feet on the accepted um, length estimate, which is 
by scientists in general, but I think that, um, yeah, the anaconda is the largest snake. I, I expect it to get to about 40, maybe the early 40s, 40 feet. And I expect the reticulated python to probably not get much bigger than it actually is, maybe maybe 35 feet or something like that. And I would imagine that it's the, with the anaconda, it's the hydrostatic nature of the water itself that enables the bodies to be so massive, if you like. There's one snake I don't want to meet in a dark alley. Yeah, I think you will find them because, I mean, out there they can grow where they like because it's a bit like, I'm a fan of mutant rats and mutant rats, okay. they can grow up for 12 yeah. feet onwards. Okay. Hello. Welcome to CFZ. Sorry, we are out at the moment. <laughs> Now I should do my sign-off. Are you ready, Mr. Cole? It's, it, you know, you've got to be ready for it, because it will come. Are you ready? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Carl, for being on my show. I hope no zombies get you today and eat your brains before you go on holiday. And thank you for talking about cryptozoology and all the things you do. Big cats and the condors and little microbes evaporates what you're talking about in your book so we'll talk again one day and we can talk about your book good night goodbye thank you awesome. thank you did you enjoy that